All right, over the last couple months, we've been going through God's redemptive story, and we're actually at the tail end of it. We're at the end times. And um, if you're not a Christian and you have no Christian background, I hope you'll come next week as well, because this is going to be a little overwhelming. We're going through a lot of theology here, and some of it feels a little inaccessible. But um, on the next couple slides, we're going to open with one question, and that is, what do you think happens right after you die. So if you were to die uh, driving out of a parking lot, a truck smashes your car, and you're dead, what happens right after you die, and what is that place like? I'm probably going to be preaching for like an hour, so I'm only going to give you like two minutes to talk about this, all right? Go. Oh, person on your left and right, go ahead and partner up. You know the drill. Make sure no one's left out. All right. I hope you had a good time sharing. Sorry to cut it short. Some of you guys are probably just looking at each other like, why does he ask these questions? Um, We've been going through this big Bible timeline through the Old Testament, New Testament, kind of hearing about, oh, no, someone hit our projector. Okay. Um, And um, everything's good. Calm down. And so we're going through the Old and New Testament. And I want to break it down today. We've been kind of walking through the Bible with different themes. And next slide, I'll just say next slide if my clicker doesn't work. If you guys just press arrow. All right. And um, we've been walking through it with different themes, but I wanted to make it really simple um, this time around and talk about it in terms of kingdom. And I like this chart because it really speaks to the circular story of Scripture. So we kind of end up where we start, and there's this mirror image, and a lot of theologians have commented on this. But we have the perfect kingdom. That's where God reigns and rules, and there's justice and peace and unity with God and with each other. Adam and Eve was kind of birthed into this earth that they didn't get sick in. They wouldn't die in. There was no violence, right? So when people accuse God of making the world as is with bone cancer and kids and and famines, we would say that he doesn't make the world like this. It's not reflective of his goodness and who he is. He makes the world perfect. But sin enters the world as Adam and Eve, and man chooses to be God instead of having him rule. And God honors their choice and honors their stewardship. And when man rules the earth, we get, we get cursed. We hurt each other. We're violent. Um, there's wars. There's famines. There's, our body breaks down. And God punishes sin in the generation of Noah. If you read kind of that first line, it says every thought and every inclination of man was evil all the time. And there was no societal restrictions to prevent people from doing that evil. So rape and murder was like an everyday thing. It, It wasn't a big deal. So God judges sin. And then we have a partial kingdom come out of there from Abraham and his descendants. Israel is put together and God's kingdom is this kind of, uh, is this boundary on earth that you could pin on Apple Maps and draw a border around that he's ruling and reigning. The temple of God sits there with the Ark of the Covenant. His laws are governing the space. And when they're following God and worshiping him, there's justice and peace. Uh, they're impenetrable. They, they're prospering. And, um, and people from all over the world would come to Israel to be Yahweh worshipers. You were a follower of God by being a Jew, 
by residing in Jerusalem. This is the partial kingdom. And then Jesus comes and he pays for sin. And this is kind of the, this is kind of the mirror's edge, right? So um, this is the break between the two mirroring parts of, of this narrative. Jesus pays for sin. He forgives us. He dies on the cross for us. And then the church is erupted out of that. And this is a different partial kingdom. It doesn't have boundaries. It's not a nation. It's all these people from different nations saying that, I want to follow Jesus. And now the kingdom of God is without borders and expands across every culture and language and every part of the earth. But we exist in this invisible kingdom where Jesus rules and we are a part of his community on a physical kingdom in our boundaries of the United States with our commander-in-chief being Barack Obama. And so if you think about uh, maybe an illustration of this is the Olympics, like just this huge track and field uh, arena and crowds of people gathering together representing their countries. Um, the U.S. is really loud and maybe a little obnoxious. And then there's other countries that are more peaceable, and, um, even though I love the U.S. And I'm one of the obnoxious ones. Anyway, so people are waving their flags, wearing their colors, all about their country. And then if you think about the invisible kingdom, within these countries and cultures and, uh, that they're representing are these Christians that belong to a, to a second kingdom with the second king that their allegiance is primarily to Jesus, their culture and, and their values and their vision is for their kingdom, and that's their primary king that they worship, that's the primary kingdom they belong to, and then they are Japanese, Mexican, American, um, from all these different countries. So it becomes this other partial kingdom that coincides with the kingdom on earth. And then we have a second judgment that comes that mirrors the judgment of Noah and the flood, the tribulation and the judgment seat, which we'll, which we'll walk into in our next segment pretty deeply. And then after that is the new earth. So the story ends the way it begins, that Jesus reigns again. He takes control of the entire earth and every, everything is under him. And we have complete unity with God, unity with each other, and unity with the earth. Any questions? <laughs> I'm just going to move on because I don't want you to ask questions. Um, it's a mirror. Just think mirror. All right. So you are here. We went through that whole timeline. We talked about renew and um, how we're a part of this big story. And then we're looking at now, and then we talked about the rapture and a little bit of the judgment seat last week. Click, click, next slide. And, um, and I think maybe one of the most important questions we want to ask as we look at the tribulation, the millennial, the rapture, the great white throne, is how, why is the end times important? Why is understanding that important? Because dolphins slap. So if you were here last week, we did this hypothetical scenario of alien dolphins slapping and destroying Orange County, and only you knew about it. And you had a week to tell all your friends and family. And the concept is that what we believe the future to be should and does affect the way we live now. And so if we have a clear or somewhat clear understanding of the end times, of how this whole thing wraps up, this last chapter of human history, it should inform the way we spend our lives here on earth uh, right now in the present moment. Secondly, 
I hope that as we go through this last um, leg of human history, um, we get a greater and more complete picture of Jesus. Because in the Gospels, we fall in love with Jesus who's humble. We fall in love with a Jesus who washes feet and is willing to be crucified for our sins, loves us, right? We give Jesus a hug. He's our best friend. And all of that's true, but it's, it's an incomplete picture of Christ. And Revelations, it, it adds to that in a way that should humble us, make us feel small, and make our friendship with Jesus be all, we should be in all of that, like every moment we think of it. In Revelations, Jesus is a conqueror and king. The whole earth bows at his feet. He rules the nations with the iron scepter. And I hope that as that picture becomes more clear to us, it would change the way we worship. It would change the way we talk to him. It would change the way we live our lives. Um, Lastly, Jesus wins. So understanding the end of the story allows us to approach our part of the story in a different way. One of my f- best friends, his name's Ernest, and his wife, Stephanie, grew up with her, saw her since she was like an elementary school kid. Um, and she loves reading the end of the novel first. Isn't that annoying? So she'll pick up a book, and she'll go to the last chapter, read that, and decide whether she wants to read the book. Or she'll go to like, ah, uh, she'll go to like Breaking Bad and watch like the last three episodes. And oh, I, it's a sin, right? Is it a sin? Let's, let's, I'm going to call her up right now and yell at her. Anyways, um, but when you know the end of the story, there's, uh, there's like so much less risk involved. And when I see like my main character, if I know he's going to survive at the end, he feels invincible through his whole journey. I, I, don't, I don't get scared for him, right? Like those episodes where heroes go back in time, I'm like, yeah, he's fine, you know. He exists in the future and all that. Of course he's going to be okay here. And I hope that as we hear about this last chapter and Jesus winning, that it would give us courage in the present, that it would allow us to know when we sacrifice and when we pull for Team Jesus and when we... Um, when we take risks, that it's not in vain and that there isn't this cosmic tug of war between good and evil and we're not sure who wins at the end. I think that would bother me, right? If, if Revelations never was, you know, given to the Apostle John, I'm like, man, sometimes the church looks like it's dying out. Sometimes other, other philosophies and evil feels like it's winning. But when we understand and grapple with the last chapter, it gives us confidence to live boldly the chapter that we are in. All right, here we go. So um, we're going to talk about heaven, kind of like if we die now, what does heaven look like? And sometimes in pop culture especially, but even maybe popular Christian concept, is that heaven just kind of extends all the way through. But there's actually a lot of other things that happen if we were to die now in human history and, and some of which we experience. So we're going to talk about the rapture from Matthew again and just kind of touch on that because we did that last week. And then the rest we haven't really talked about. So the tribulation is seven years um, after the rapture where Satan kind of takes full reign and rule over the earth 
and God goes to war with him, and, and it climaxes with Jesus coming in on a white horse, uh, taking the earth back, um, setting up his reign in the millennial kingdom for a thousand years. Satan rebels again, comes out of the dungeon. God releases him. He does sees all these nations, which I, didn't, I can't imagine being possible, but it happens. And then Jesus defeats him again. There's this throne that comes up. He judges every human on earth. And then the new earth is set up. And that's as far as we know. And this is a very specific understanding of the end time. So there's like four major perspectives. I'm just sharing you this one because I understand it the best. My seminary taught it. Our denomination ascribes to it, even though I don't feel like that should be a part of our core doctrine. Um, But I hope that um, even if we were to talk about the other views, um, I would say the main point is that Jesus wins. You, we, should, we should worship him because he's going to be king over the whole earth. And dolphin slap, you know, it's, the same, it's the, same, the same things that matter. All right, here we go. Was that you or me? That was me? It's me. It's exciting. So if you were to die, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So at your death, I believe that there's a conscious existence of you, if you are a believer of God, being in the throne room of heaven with him. But that's kind of a waiting state. It's not your final state. You're disembodied at that moment. You're probably observing human history still uh, unfold. You're, you're in the throne room worshiping the Lord. We have Luke chapter 16 where this Lazarus and this rich man are separated. Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham, which is their version of heaven in the Jewish culture. And the rich man is in Hades because he lives this life fully for himself. But we have here like a conscious existence right at the point of death prior to um, the resurrection of, of everyone in the great throne. So that's why I ascribe to a conscious existence after death. Now, some of us will live or may or may not live to the rapture, and that's Jesus' second coming. And we talked about that last week. But what we, envis- what we see here is that the Son of Man comes uh, from heaven, and he's in the clouds, like in our stratosphere, atmosphere, not heaven, throne room of God, but like heaven 2,000 feet up. Um, and then He sends out his angels, and he gathers all of the elect of the four winds, right? And so this is kind of our concept of the rapture and the Left Behind series. Uh, Two men will be in a field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at a hand mill. Uh, One will be taken, and the other left. So if you can imagine, you know, two billion-plus people disappearing in an instant and being caught up with the Lord um, in the clouds, Um, one of my friends, he, he has epilepsy, and uh, he just kind of, he knows when he's going to knock out, and then he kind of comes to. And his friends have been praying, playing pranks on him. So like one time they put him in a car and pretended there was a, a zombie apocalypse, and they had a lot of fun. And so I wanted to do like a, like a left-behind version where as he goes down, I just put like puddles of clothes everywhere. So that's the rapture. And then after that... Um, we have the tribulation. So Jesus kind of has all the you know, Christians caught up with him. And then, and then Satan is kind of handed the earth. And he takes power. And he, all the government of the earth 
start worshiping him. He comes in as like this, you know, I, can, I would imagine really charismatic, really smart world leader talking about peace. Um, and then people just kind of fold under him. And then, and then they worship him and he sets up like, it's kind of cool reading in Revelations about um, people taking the mark of the beast and basically like saying that they would follow him, giving him allegiance. And with this mark, they're able to buy and sell things and kind of be citizens in his kingdom. And I think that's really a cool concept because this was written like 2,000 years ago, right? And now we could kind of conceive the possibility of like a chip in our wrist and being able to buy and sell without like physical uh, credit cards. We kind of have a world currency and all of that. So that's, that's exciting to me. And then um, other things happen like... God sends in these two prophets to prophesy um, and tell people about him, but everyone's like Satan worshipers, so they try to kill them. But then they breathe like fire out of their mouths, and then one day they do get killed. And then three, and then like they're celebrating, they're like giving gifts to each other. It's kind of like the new Christmas, like killing these two prophets. And then after that, they like like a beam of light comes, and they're like resurrected into heaven. So when you see bodies go into heaven, you have to ask some serious questions, right? Like, where am I going? Um, during this time on earth, there's like tremendous judgment. So there's the seven bowls, uh, the seven trumpets, the seven plagues. And God's basically declaring war against Satan and the people of earth who, who hate him. And they're pretty severe um, judgments. This idea of a bowl, and, and it's kind of... Throughout, um, you know, his, human history, you have this imagery where God doesn't judge people at the time of their evil. Oftentimes, he kind of withholds judgment in hope that they will repent. But at a certain point, like this proverbial bowl is filled with wrath, with, is filled with judgment, and he pours it out, and, and he judges people uh, for, for their evil. And so this is, in Revelations, there's the seven bowls, and it's, again, it's really severe. The first bowl's poured out, and everyone gets, like, festering sores who has the market of beast. The second bowl gets poured out. Um, the sea is turned to blood, and every living thing in the sea dies. The third bowl is poured out, and they have no more drinking water. People die from that. And the fourth bowl is poured out, and this, like, you know, global warming times 10, and people are getting sunburned. But it says that they refuse to repent and glorify him. And so as Satan's ruling the earth, you just kind of imagine like Hitler and Stalin looking really like civil because now it's like Satan, right? And they hate God and God's going to war with them. And when God is judging them, they don't say it's not God. They're not saying like, oh, it's like a random event. They know it's him. It's really obvious, but their hearts continue uh, to turn more and more evil they don't repent, and they hate, they hate God even more. Next slide. <laughs> Give up. All right. And then as this is going on on earth, you have complete chaos, evil spreading, and, and ruling the earth. It's interesting because if you read, this is all in Revelations, by the way, um, from, from the tribulation part. We're quoting all, most of Revelations. It's given to the uh, disciple John, and we read his gospel at the front end of this church. Um, and now he's finishing off his life in exile on an island, 
after being persecuted. And this angel appears and gives them all of these different visions, right, about the last kind of part of human history. And as he's seeing the earth get destroyed by God's plagues, there's these cut scenes into heaven. And in heaven, it's a completely different um, vantage point. On earth, chaos is ensuing. In heaven, it's this unhindered, unbridled, uninterrupted worship of God. And the scene is this, this chair, this throne that sits as a centerpiece. And Jesus is sitting on the throne. There's like a rainbow around it. His face is so bright. It's like the sun. People can't look at it directly. And then, the, and then there's these concentric circles around this throne. The first circle are these four creatures. And they're these magnificent creatures. And and the whole time when John's trying to explain things, it's like he's running out of words. He doesn't have enough vocab for color. You know, it's like yellow and, and gold and, and more yellow just isn't sufficient, right? And so he's running out of words, but he's like, these four creatures are around the throne worshiping God. They have six wings. They kind of see everything. One has the face of a human. Another has the face of a bird. Another has the face of a lion. And they're the whole time, they're just saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole time, they're worshiping God. And then the next circle are these 24 elders, right? 12 of them representing the 12th tribe of, of Israel. The other 12 representing the church, the apostles. And they are on their knees worshiping God. And then you have another concentric circle. This time it expands like miles long. And it's all of these angels in heaven, all of them around the throne of God, worshiping him giving praise to him, um, never ceasing in, in their awe of him. And then past that concentric circle, you have every tongue, tribe, and nation, everyone who's professing Jesus for tens of thousands of miles, billions of, of Christians worshiping God. It's like the most hardcore praise night you've ever been to. And so as the earth is being like destroyed, corruption's ruling, evil's ruling, God is still in control. He's still sovereign, and he's still being worshiped. And I think when we look at our lives, we can see evil prevail sometimes. We can experience a life of chaos for different seasons. And I think for me, some of it's just saying, hey, like, I can step back Help me to step back, Lord, and see that you're still in control, that you're still being worshipped, that um, you're, you still reign, even in the chaos of my life. Um, verse 9, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their hand, and they cried in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits at the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. So this is kind of a zoom in. Sorry. They laid down on their faces before the throne, worshiped God, and said, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and, and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, at the end of the tribulation, um, Jesus comes in, and he, he's kind of gathered everyone in the sky, and then now he's mounting his final attack, and he's taking over the earth. It says he pulls a sharp sword out of his mouth to strike down the nations. He will rule 
over them with the iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the Almighty God. On his robe and on his right thigh, he, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. My next tattoo is going to be Servant of the King in Greek. And then, you know, I hope that I get to be a part of this massive army. I'll probably be in the back somewhere. And I'm just going to, like, scoot up with my horse. And I'll be like, excuse me, Apostle Paul. And then um, I'll be like, hey, Jesus, I got a matching tattoo. <laughs> Servant of the King. And then I'll go back. And then... <laughs> And then after this, um, you know, the angels, like, taunt all of these rulers of the earth. Um, he, they, he t- Next slide, please. Um, man, I, I would pay, like, $300 for a good clicker. Anyways, um, and he says, he, this angel cries out. He talks to all the birds, and he says, God's preparing a great feast for you because he's going to come in. He's going to kill all of these kings who hate him, he's going to kill the Antichrist, the, the general, the armies, um, and you're going to just be able to eat like all the flesh you want. So he, this angel's like talking crap. And then after, the, after Jesus kind of descends on the earth, he wipes out the army. He throws the beast and the false prophet into the lake of fire. And then from there, we have the millennial kingdom. So the tribulation is seven years where where Satan's reigning, and then Jesus comes, takes over, and the millennial kingdom is a thousand years in which Christ rules. And he sets up his, his camp, and he says, hey, everyone who's followed me, you're going to be rulers alongside of me. And I think this whole life we're living now is really just like a tryout to be ruling alongside of Jesus to see if we have the character and leadership and if we prioritize him. And that's what he says. He says, man, the people who have given their life for me, they're going to rule alongside of me. And I've, I'm like really excited about the millennial kingdom um, because, because Trump and Hillary are about to take over the U.S., one of them, right? And I'm just so sad. I wish there was like a third option. There is, but I don't trust them either, right? And I feel like I just envision, can you envision with me Jesus ruling the earth and how you could take all the military spending we have and put that into education and feeding people and technology, what it looks like to collaborate across corporations because we don't need profit anymore, and to really, truly, freely share ideas and to say, hey, like, um, let's discover together. Let's explore. Let's not worry about surviving anymore. Let's be able to truly share. Um, and, and I remember just kind of at Corona Del Mar, there's this house I really like. It's so beautiful. It looks like a hobbit lives there, you know, like it's straight from Lord of the Rings. Uh, I look at it every time. I'm just like, if, it kind of draws me into this uh, fantasy world. And I like talking to God. I'm like, God, like in this new kingdom, I want this house, you know, like, I know I'm not going to be able to get a house now like this by the beach, but I want this one. And I remember the last time I talked to God about that, he's like, you are selling yourself so short. You'll be so mad if I give you this house in the new kingdom. You know, like, like he talks about the streets being paved as gold, uh, um, by gold. And it's basically saying, like, the things we treasure and cling onto and hold closely on earth, we're just going to be, wa- it's going to be asphalt. We're going to be walking on it.
So that's the millennial kingdom. Um, there's some verses here that I don't have time to go through. Click, $300 clicker, next click, and then next click again. And then the great white throne happens. So after Jesus is locked, or sorry, after Satan's locked up for a thousand years, he gets released. And somehow he deceives like a lot of the earth still. This is like after, you know, Jesus sets up, but it's kind of exciting because I'm like, oh, we get to go to a second war, and I'm, I, I love that. So he deceives all these nations, four corners of the earth, and, and he deceives like a, such a large number of people that they are at the sand of the seashore. They, they march across the breadth of the earth and surround the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire comes down from heaven, devours them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophets had been thrown. They've been tortured day and night forever and ever. Next slide. And then after that, we see the great white throne. So after Jesus destroys that, um, Satan and locks him away forever, this great white throne comes, and all of everyone who's dead is resurrected. And there, there's this book opened, and it's the book of life. And the, ju- the dead are judged according to what they have done accorded, uh, accord- recorded in the books. Anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's kind of scary. Next slide. And then there's the new earth. So the people who are, whose names are written in the book of life experience this new earth. So God, Jesus completely redo, redoes the earth here. Uh, verse 21, and this is actually where our, our church name is inspired from. Next slide, please. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth and the first heaven had passed away. There was no longer any sea. Which I'm kind of sad about that. I saw the, new, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. For those who are victorious will, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children." But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be uh, consigned to the fury lake of burning sulfur, and this will be the second death. So here Jesus has divided those who follow him and desire him from those who don't. And I think about alternatives to like, why can't everyone be in the new earth, right? Like, man, I like being a, I, I, like Rob Bell would be, I mean, he's awesome, right? Um, love wins, everyone's in the new earth. But I think about, I think about how 
um, heaven isn't like this gated community where all these people are like clamoring to get in but, and clawing their way in, but the doors are shut. It's, it's an open community for people who want God to be king. And for those who don't, they are actively choosing not to live there. So C.S. Lewis paints this picture of those who aren't in heaven um, not wanting to be there. There's like this tour bus that, that visits heaven and hell. And as this tour bus is going into hell, people are seeing those that they love there. And they're trying to like pull them into this tour bus in order to go back to heaven. But they're like, no, I don't want to be there. I don't want to worship this king. I want my life to be about me. And the longer they're in this space, the more evil and corrupt and self-centered they become. And I don't think that's resolvable outside. Like our will is what is the greatest gift that God gives us. And to, to, to have someone who hates God or who doesn't want to be under his rule be in his kingdom is taking away their ability to choose. And once you take away the freedom of choice, you take away love and you take away relationship because love and relationship is built on choice. And then you have this other space where God's saying, I'm ruling the earth and there's no death, there's no crying, there's no pain. The old things have passed away. And I think about the people who um, are going, for us who are hurting right now, who are going through pain, who are going through suffering, that there's a promise God makes to us that this, this life is short and the pain we go through will find a resolution too. That it will, it will just be a distant memory at a certain point. And I think about um, the new earth in, in a way in which we get to operate and, and be able to accomplish and uh, freely explore all of our talents and gifts and the things that we love, be able to have like loving relationships. Like I love kind of country music because it takes me back to the space where you could like say hi to people and they don't feel like you're asking them for money and homeless, right? And it's like, man, we, we all envision a community, a country, an earth where it's better than this, where people are able to love each other and not be suspicious where we don't have to doubt, where we get to see God face to face, where, where when we pursue education, um, knowledge is, is unhindered by falsity, right? Where when, when we pursue technology, we're not limited by our instruments. When we pursue arts, we're not frustrated because we see something in our mind that we can't get out on paper or words. Um, and mostly, we get to be with our Savior and our King. You know, um, Patrick, he asks uh, questions um, every week on Facebook. And this last question he asked was, what do you want to be remembered for? And I, I sat back and I, I really thought about that. And I put it out on the comments. And I thought about how we aren't remembered for very long. Even our memory doesn't go very far. So I think about my grandma. She only died five years ago. And I don't remember the last time I talked to my parents about her. And we're her family. Outside of her three kids and her like 10 grandkids, I don't think anyone else would really think about her. 
And she's only passed for five years. How do I want my life to be remembered? I think I will be remembered like that. My couple kids will remember me, and they will pass. My grandkids might think of me once in a while, but their kids will have no access to me. And even if they know some factoids, I won't experience them in love or relationship. And there's no one else who really has reason to remember me like 20 to 30 years after I die. That my life and your life and our memories are so short and in some ways really insignificant. And I hope that we would just kind of sit with the fragility of that. And then we would get plugged into this king who, whose name goes beyond culture and time frame and boundaries. Jesus is remembered. And he's not just remembered in facts. He's remembered and experienced in relationship from one generation to another. I hope that as we think about heaven and the judgment seat, that we would say to the people around us, you can forget about me, but there's this king where every tongue, tribe, and nation is going to be on their knees professing. Right now, you have a choice to give your allegiance to him, but later, you're just going to be on your knees because he's going to show up like real big. And I hope that I would spend my life promoting that name. I hope that Renew would spend its life promoting the name of Jesus. Um, last story, and I've shared it before. Nina's professor talked about it in a lecture. There's these two guys kind of standing at the pearly gates, which is against everything we just shared, and um, waiting in line to get in, right? And one guy looks at the other. He's like, how do you know they're going to let you into heaven? And that guy looks at him. He says, you see that guy on the throne? I know him, and he knows me. I hope that in the grandeur of God, we would be able to confidently approach the throne, but not in this like careless, casual way. I hope that it feels humbling to know that the King of Kings is someone we can know. I hope it feels humbling to know that the King of Kings is someone we can help someone else find. I hope it deeply humbles us when we think about the throne and all of creation bowing before it and our Savior stepping off, washing feet, walking to Calvary, giving up his life so that we can be with him in heaven on the new earth. God, today we come to you and we take communion um, and we worship and we reflect on this Jesus who pulls the sword out of his mouth, sits on the throne with every breathing being around him in worship. And I hope that somehow we could hold that image together with the bread that was his body, representing his body broken for us, and the cup that represents his bloodshed, that somehow in our worship, in the way we live our life, in the way that we talk to you, we would have the lion and the lamb, the king and the one who gives up his life together in our hearts, in our mind, in our vision. We love you. Um, 
we're excited to bow before you. And we're excited to live as your children in this kingdom now. Take our lives away from ourselves, away from our, our very fleeting name and reputation, our very fleeting things. Help us to live for you, God, in our family, in our work, in our friendships. In Jesus' name, amen.